Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi and welcome to this episode of Your Wealth. I'm Gemma Dale, NABTRADE's Director of Investor Behaviour and Self-Managed Funds. Well, reporting season has come to a close and it's given investors an opportunity to adjust their portfolios. We've seen a massive uplift in trading on NABTRADE, which is quite interesting after quite a subdued approach from our investors over the last sort of six months where they've been really concerned about where the market is. It's back at record highs and many investors are wondering now how to invest in a world where COVID appears to be coming back in Australia anyway and the outlook for a lot of Australia's largest companies is pretty uncertain. Today, I'm joined by Vince Pizzullo, Deputy Head of Equities at Perpetual Investments, who worries about these things on behalf of some of Australia's biggest super funds, many, many individual investors, and who just told me at the end of reporting season he has time for contemplation, which sounds amazing. Vince, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, good afternoon, Jenna. How are you? Thanks for the opportunity to speak to your listeners. It's, um, it's great to speak to you. I was having a little look around at some of the, uh, the comments you've been making recently. Uh, prior to putting this together, and you were quoted in the Fin Review saying the easy money's been made in Australian equities all the way back in February. And I can't think of a better way to s- describe how our investors seem to be feeling at the moment. Has anything changed since you were making those comments? Not really. Um, when, when you take a step back to that period, um, you always the context around it's important in that the easy money's been made because if you you know, if you'd spent the money 12 months earlier in that March, April period in 2020, it was hard to do, but it was the right thing to do at the time. And the easy money has been made because at that point in time in March or February last year, sorry, March last year, what you were paying for companies because of the significant derating you'd seen across the market, what you were paying for companies was that the market wasn't actually assuming much in the future for a lot of equities, for a lot of different types of companies. So you actually had quite a selection you could make um, you could have pretty much bought anything. Most things drew down 40 to 50%. So they'd fallen at least that much. But the long-term prospects of those companies were off by 40 or 50%. Um, the market was still grappling with what does corona mean, what do lockdowns mean, et cetera. So if you're willing to extend your view a bit out two to three to five years, um, it allowed you to actually make more uh, informed decisions about I'm buying this business the next, it might, this thing might go for 12 to 18 months. I'm willing to look through that. And in five years' time, I'm, I'm going to be way better off because things will probably normalise. The balance sheets of the business I'm buying are in pretty good shape. Uh, they'll get through this. And I'm actually not paying a lot for it uh, today. And when you think about multiples, PEs or EBT, EBTA, et cetera. So when I think about uh, easy money being made, it's what, what sort of risk are you taking to get access to a business, to buy a great business or a good business? And last year, that's when you should have done all your, that's when you did all the hard work. So that's why it was a bit, it was easy money then. Now it's more about we're in the part of the cycle, the business cycle, there is a business cycle still, where the conversation has gone from recovery to being in a recovery. So now thinking about, okay, how does central bank, how do central banks remove uh, accommodation? we've got pretty large fiscal policy responses globally. You know, at some point that's got to normalise. Uh, you've now got shortages in certain sectors. So you've got there's a lot of little one percenters out there now that you have to think about as an investor, particularly if you think about entering the market today. 
you're going to have to you're going to have to be looking at parts of the market which may not have re-rated as strongly, or you're just looking through and whatever you've got today you have to sit on because maybe you did buy well last year, and you can think out you don't really care because you paid forty percent below current levels, so you can sit there with your with your stock holdings in your SMSF or your, your direct holdings etc. And you all think, still can think out a bit further out, especially given we're going to have a lot more normalisation of uh, capital returns. You start to see that already with dividends being reinstated and buybacks, et cetera. Yeah, it's interesting you comment how difficult it is to buy when the market's not just taking a dip, it's absolutely falling off a cliff. And we had enormous quantities of buying last year. We had huge numbers of new investors coming to market and so on. And a lot of our investors did incredibly well out of it. It was uh, it was an amazing buying opportunity for people. And also they've been hoarding cash right up until February last year. Cash book was at record levels. And the reason we know investors are feeling super cautious right now is that cash is back at record levels. They've still got the holdings they bought last year, but they're they're hanging on to any extra cash because they just don't know what to do with it. Uh, the NAB economics team, many, many others, and you've already alluded to this, are really concerned that the downturn that's been precipitated by the current lockdowns, this is in Australia, there's obviously plenty to look at globally as well, to be much more protracted than last year. So we saw this incredible bounce back in the market, but also in the economy. Things came back really beautifully late last year, early this year, looking really good. Uh, and the concern that I'm hearing from uh, a lot of professional economists and investors is it's not going to be as easy this time. Lockdowns are longer and it's it's much harder to come out of it. Are you concerned about the impact of lockdowns, about subdued activity and where things are going from here? It's a good question because, uh, you, you, again, you, you're at a point where the market has re-rated significantly. But again, I'll have to bring it back to just as an investor, you've got to extend your time horizons as to you're here for the long term as an investor. You want to, you want to beat inflation over the long term, particularly uh, if you invest in your superannuation. And so these sort of elements regarding lockdowns, if I look at overseas as, as, as an example, you think about the UK, the vaccination rate's up at 60-odd percent, 70%. Delta's in the economy, but um, I suspect herd immunity is quite high anyway because they the initial corona infection ran through the economy, uh, through the uh, population pretty quickly, but they're just letting it go. Uh, so the, there's, a, there's that tipping point where the economic cost versus unfortunately the, some of the, uh, the medical cost to the economy, there is a tipping point there. So we're at this point where I think the realisation is starting to occur to a lot of the premiers that a zero policy is not functional and it's probably in, impossible to achieve. Uh, without like significant damage and other issues occurring as well. So I'm actually not that worried about the current lockdowns. Economists can think about, you know, what it means for the next 12 months, what it may mean into, particularly because we're probably running into an election next year as well, maybe late at the, May at the latest date, what it may mean for that. As an investor, I'm sitting here going, you know, if at the moment the market's still willing to go buy COVID winners, so the Woolworths, the retail, some of the retailers, the staples, et cetera, and they're more willing to sell the losers, so, you know, travel stocks, et cetera. Uh, I think that's your opportunity there. You can start to think about if the market's willing to throw those, those other the COVID losers out for a period of what may only be two months, 
uh, it's actually a reasonable opportunity for investors to, to, if they missed out a little bit, they can actually, because a lot of these companies have actually sold off a bit and are not re-rated as much as the market. So you've got that opportunity to buy Qantas or Flight Centre and some of these names um, because they're still lagging the market quite a bit. So I, I would typically still look through this period and position yourself if you aren't already in some of those, those what I would call recovery winners. And I'll, I'll put into that, that category as well, energy as well, because that's lagged quite a bit. And that's one of the biggest lagging sectors with insurance has re-rated more recently, but they're the two sort of sectors we quite like. That's really interesting. Uh, travel stocks last year, Qantas, Webjet and Flight Centre were all in our top 10 when the market fell apart as a buy. Our guys absolutely loved buying those on weakness, but they've become much more cautious about it this year. I imagine because many people are still holding them and didn't necessarily take profits quickly, uh, but also they they don't see that immediate bounce anymore. I think a lot of people could see a short-term bounce coming and we're excited, but as you say, the easy money's gone. So when it comes to your portfolio, and we've just wrapped up reporting season, so we've got some clarity about certainly how the last 12 months have affected a lot of companies. Is there anything you're particularly excited about at the moment? Yeah, I still think there's opportunities here. Um, in, I mentioned just before the energy names. You start to see some corporate activity with, you think about BHP spinning out their uh, BHP Petroleum division into Woodside and then owning a stake in the combined entity. Uh, Santos, you know, making a bid for a merger with Oil Search. Uh, and then globally, you, got, you, you juxtapose that against the bigger picture that... Um, uh, there are no new discoveries, really large discoveries coming in the energy sector. They're not sort of the, the decline in the fields is still occurring. So, um, and they're managing the OPEC plus um, is managing the supply side pretty, pretty effectively uh, as well. So um, particularly with the West in particular, focusing on decarbonisation and sort of shrinking their pool of uh, energy reservoir particularly in North America, it sort of plays into the hand that OPEC sort of like re-establishing itself. So from the bigger picture, we like we like an oil search. We, we own a lot of our funds. We own it in the pit, special equity investment company. We like the merger with Santos. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's also LNG, more LNG exposed with Papua New Guinea and domestic uh, gas supplies in LNG uh, and a good management team uh, with uh, Santos in particular coming across. So... We quite like the energy space in mining. Um, we still have quite a bit of exposure in mining as well. We we do we are a believer that inflation will be a little bit more persistent rather than transitory, uh, and that's sort of playing out still. Uh, we like Ioluca still. We like the mineral sands parts of their business uh, exposed to global. Uh, you know any fiscal policy that Ioluca's mineral sands business does well out of it. There are also again another. You think about this theme that there's shortages in actual supply of zircon etc and rutile and so which is their i look as one of the biggest producers of those two and then they got their monazide their rare earths business which is under development potentially uh which the market's sort of not, not paying for uh so we quite like a lurker we like west we've got a pretty big position in western areas which is sort of in discussion regarding some again a more corporate activity with uh uh, IGO independence, uh, and we own Oz Minerals as well. So we've got copper, some nickel, uh, and I look with mineral sands and energy. So they're pretty prime, you know, basic materials type exposure because I, I do like the fact that they, they look reasonable value still. 
Uh, I still think the cycle's got a little bit more to play out in those. There is no supply response in particular, no large supply response in those sectors, which means sort of like pricing will probably be higher through this cycle than historically has been the case. And we've got businesses which have very good balance sheets, like net cash or, or no, not a lot of debt, so they can get themselves through the cycle. We also have um, in the pick in particular, uh, we bought a, a healthcare, US healthcare stock called Icon, ICLR as a ticker, which uh, did a transaction. They merged or took over the number four, I believe, in the industry of clinical research organisations. And, you know, Australian healthcare does trade, tend to trade with quite a bit of premium embedded in it, you know, 50, 60 times. This company's got a net cash balance sheet. I have owned it in the past. Uh, it derated a bit when everyone started buying cyclicals and, you know, traded on a on a post uh, takeover basis um, about 20 times PE, which if you look at the Australian industrials markets, trading on about 27 to 28 times PE. So that, that quality of business, we can bring that into the portfolio and we've uh, done quite well out of that. And again, I mentioned earlier, we still do quite like the insurance sector. Um, um, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming inevitably we're going to get asked a question on banks. Um, so insurers are still like, we think the sector's got a tailwind in that pricing is firming still. Um, they've had to, to suffer a pretty tough couple of years with flood and fire. And then you had Corona obviously last year and business interruption. That risk is still out there about what that could cost. So the whole industry is having to push prices up and if, Rates will eventually start to go up, interest rates. You know, insurers tend to, to benefit out of short rates going up as well. And they're all, again, very good capital positions. Suncorp's announced a, you know, uh, a buyback and, and capital returns. So we, we like both of them, IAG and Suncorp. Oh, there's so much in all of that, and investors will be paying extremely close attention uh, to the names that you've been mentioning. I'm fascinated by your sort of resources exposure, if I look back at what people have been buying, we've sort of seen a real return of investors to the market. Volumes have been way back up through reporting season. So we see volumes really down over the last six months as people were really worried about where the market was going. Reporting season drags everybody back out again. There's something to get excited about. There's news, but what they've been buying has been primarily resources, starting with Fortescue, followed by BHP, Rio was in there, all the specials and the divvies look amazing to them partly also because a lot of our guys have been very underweight that stuff for a long time they learned like I did when I first started investing that you don't get dividends from resources companies and uh, clearly we're all completely wrong about that in this kind of era but I noticed you didn't mention anything about lithium and you didn't mention anything about iron ore are you staying away from those parts of the sector or are you just a little bit more enthusiastic about the ones you're talking about um, how could I, yeah, so uh, I have learned the same rules as yourself, Jim, about uh, don't expect capital returns from resource companies because they tend to, you know, the money, it's a capital-intensive business and uh, they tend to look for new things all the time. But you have to say that the change in management across the mining space has been significant and that their capital discipline is extremely high. And we've also got, I hate to say, it, but sort of like the sectors or particular types of uh, minerals or the ownership structures, uh, so the guys that actually, or the, the companies that have access to all the resources, is a lot tighter. So it's a lot more concentrated than it has been in the past. So there are a lot more. And, and then you've got to throw in the mixed decarbonisation, which, you know, increases the cost of mining as well. Um, so it sort of counts a lot of the smaller players out. 
we're not excluding iron ore. Um, we, we do own a company called Deterra, which got spun out of uh, Iluca, which is a, it's a royalty company, and its major asset is the mining area C, which is being expanded by BHP, South Flank. We've got a pretty big position in that. It is uh, Again, it's a royalty company, so all it does doesn't have any actual uh, active mining activities, but they own a stake in... Um, in mining area C, which they get a royalty out of, which they will be paying out to shareholders. So um, it got spun out last year. Um, we could still quite like that's sort of our quasi iron ore play. It's a low risk way to do it because if mining costs go up, they don't get affected by it because they get a percentage of the revenue out of uh, mining area C. Iron ore's probably got uh, some headwinds near term though, um, given we are in a seasonally weak period anyway, with China sort of slowing down a bit. Uh, we're going to go run into the Winter Olympics next year as well. So they typically run things a bit, industrial activity does sort of weaken into that period as well, which means steel, et cetera. So you're going to see a bit more weakness around iron ore potentially. Look, lithium, it's, uh, again, you can see the longer term play there, you know, these things called forward metals. Uh, we've played it through when we're buying Western areas, we're buying Western areas in the $1.85 to $2 range because the nickel price can be a bit... Uh, a bit volatile, but we like the fact that it's got a good resource at Adesis in WA there. It's got a, a long mine life with that, and nickel is one of these Ford metals. And with Oz Minerals, you know, best-in-class management team, uh, great resource, execute really well, great balance sheet. So we've taken the lithium sort of electrification through nickel and copper. Uh, and, again, our Iluca uh, sort of deterra stake Sort of gives us our exposure to the iron ore uh, names, but in a lower risk way with a higher, feel higher propensity of uh, capital returns. Uh, rather than play via Fortescue, it's you can play those, but we've decided to go this way because of the valuations we thought were a little bit, uh, a little bit more compelling at the time. Yeah, Fortescue has been fascinating to watch grow as a retail investor stock. We have a lot of. Uh, very wealthy individuals who like to to play it, but I think it's a uh, it's a relatively straightforward stock to trade because you can watch the iron ore price overnight and take a fairly well balanced punt as to what it's going to do the next day. Um, we'll shift around to the sort of part of the market where most of our investors have always had a core of their portfolio. Certainly people have been around longer and that's the banks and also Telstra, which is coming back in our numbers. I find this really interesting. There's still core holdings for a lot of people. They've been core holdings because they've been lovely high yielding stocks for a long time, despite what happened last year. Do you still see particularly financials, excluding insurance, which you've mentioned, offering the right kind of opportunity for investors or are you less enthusiastic about those now? Um, yeah, financials uh, interesting because, again, you, you, your moment to purchase them was last year or the last six to nine months. You know, the balance sheets, if you think about the way banks entered corona, the balance sheets were in exceptionally good condition. So you've um, the risk of, outside of NAB, that did a raise, the risk of doing a raise was pretty low across the board. Now, but the market's now priced in the recovery of dividends, the recovery of uh, capital returns. Take into account that also banks have actually exited quite a few businesses in the last 12 to 18 months. They've exited financial planning, they've exited insurance, uh, both short and long-term insurance. They've exited, you know, auto lending uh, books and, and they're pretty much back to being 
you know, good old fractionalized banking system like a utility. So they should have less amplitude outside of the extreme um, debt cycles where we have uh, a loss, this extreme loss cycle like last year, but they got through that pretty easily. So here you've got to start thinking about the medium to longer term uh, opportunities for the banks. They're still in root health, capital-wise, generating above their cost of capital and returns, so they're generating excess capital. So the dividends are sustainable. But you've got to start thinking about the risks to the businesses. And the risks to those businesses today are things like um, they're all the little one percenters. So you think about you know, digital wallets that the tech companies you know, have now. Uh, people are starting to put cash in digital wallets. They're keeping it there rather than keeping it inside the banking system. And it's not about whether they, lose that, they need the liquidity because they don't. They don't need the liquidity. They've got plenty of uh, liquidity. It's more about losing connection to the customer. Um, being able to sell a, a customer a product, if they're starting to have digital wallets as a threat, you know, buy now, pay later, sort of attacked entry, you know, what may have been new customers into the credit card market. You know, the younger cohort that were coming through, leaving school, university, getting a job, typically get a credit card, you start accumulating some credit products. You know, the buy now, pay later sort of cut that out. So there's sort of these little threats here and there. So I think it's a little threat. To, to the banks. So they're going to have to invest more in te technology, which they are. They're all committing quite significant amounts of money to investing in technology and their offer to, to their customers to try and ret retain them. Uh, so from here, where they're trading, that's it's more about the cycle now as well. Where are we in the business cycle? Again, it's the point we are today is credit growth is pretty high already. Can it accelerate again? Probably not much more. So you're thinking about, okay, when does credit growth start to slow? That's all going to be based on activity. So the banks, uh, I'm sort of, they're okay. They're a good hold, put it that way. I, I hate to say a hold because it's sort of a non-decision, but it sort of is one as well. So if you've got your position, you bought well, I'd be sitting there, you're going to be getting your dividends, fully frank dividends coming through for the next few years anyway. So the longer-term things you got to think there. With Telstra, uh, it's re-rated quite well. The company's gotten through a few issues. They've taken costs out during the period. Mobile, the mobile industry is in pretty good shape at the moment, um, particularly with Vodafone, TPG. You've got a three-player market. But at some point, if you look at the, the latest results from Vodafone, TPG, their ARPU and, and subscriber numbers in postpaid in particular are starting to weaken off. So they're starting to, it seems like they're starting to lose share. And at some point, they're going to have to... Um, it is a high fixed cost business mobile, so at some point you're going to have to um, you're going to have to approach that issue and and try and get subscribers back. Typically, that's price led or, or or bundling and doing it through bundles, but that is again a price strategy. So there is a risk. So at four seventy five, four eighty, Telstra still the yield's pretty healthy, balance sheet's in reasonable condition. Uh, it's probably again another hold here unless you've got other opportunities. That's the way you got to think about it. It's If you're going to sell an existing position and you don't have excess cash, uh, you're always thinking about, am I putting it into a better opportunity uh, than what I've currently got? And also you've got to think about the tax implications as well if I'm selling an existing position and crystallising a, a tax gain. So they're sort of like holds for me at the moment. I love the way you sum that up. It's all well and good to feel that there's not a lot of upside in something you're holding, but if you don't have an alternative in mind, perhaps that's the best place to be. 
Perpetual offers global and Australian equity products and you've got fixed income. So you do cover almost all the things our investors will be thinking about apart from direct property. Do you have a strong view about where you'd rather have your money in this environment when you look at the different asset classes? Uh, yeah, look, if, this, if our, our basic tenet is that we believe that inflation is probably going to be a little bit more persistent. Um, we're not talking about 10 years, a decade. We could be an, an extra 12 to 18 months, right? And if you think about where the yield curve is and, and where bonds are trading, I'm less, I'm not, a, not a fan of fixed income here. I, I'd, ra- I'd rather avoid that part of the market. And so, that again, that takes me back to... Um, if we exclude cash at the point, this point is, is in equities still. Uh, I still think there are opportunities to invest in equities where, uh, as I mentioned earlier, those quite a few sectors which haven't re-rated, which, are, which will re-rate with, uh, with everyone starting to realise the economy's got a little bit more persistency and growth, that it will last a bit longer. And, and positioning is quite, uh, everyone's quite, def- they do have, there's quite a bit of defensiveness in the market. The last three months has proven that. So I, I actually still prefer uh, to be invested in equities. Uh, you know, I invest or you know, I invest personally in all our funds. I've got money in the Australian share fund, which I run as well as um, as well. I've got it in our small cap fund, I've got it in our ethical fund. Uh, but I, I, my personal f- uh, preference is the pick, the perpetual equity investment company, because it has quite a bit of flexibility. And it's a listed vehicle. Um, it's got uh, 30, up to 35% in gold shore. Uh, we've got about 30, 25 to 30 names in the portfolio and it pays about a 4.5% fully frank yield. So that, that's where I'm putting my money in at the moment, um, my preference at the moment because it is equities, I'm getting an income and it's actively managed. So we do manage it daily to take advantage or to protect the portfolio as well. So. I've got it in most of our perpetual products. And at the moment, my favourite one is the pick. Nice. So the last question then, which uh, it matters a great deal to our investors right now, uh, and I'm sure is what keeps you up at night, is there anything that's making you particularly nervous about markets or the broader economy at the moment? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) What actually makes me very nervous is, to be very direct, is government behaviour. Um, snap lockdowns, those sort of things. Markets are not prepared for those sort of sudden and abrupt changes. Maybe people have been desensitised to it over the last 12 to 18 months because there's been quite a few of these things, but markets are full, filled with risk all the time. You've got to accept that. If you're going to go into equities in particular, you've got to accept that there is risk everywhere and you're just trying to assess the risk, price it into what you're paying for your the company you're trying to buy and make sure you get enough margin of safety so that things do go wrong. It's not a um, not a zero type trade or investment that it's got longevity. You have to look through the cycle then. So it, for me, it's more of the um, the things outside the control of the companies in particular. So it is government policy and these rolling lockdowns, which I think are going to become less of an issue. But it's more that sort of outside of the of what a company can actually control. Uh, companies can't control the business cycle, but they can plan for it, but they can't plan for uh, policy decisions from governments. It's a really interesting response and I think very relevant and front of mind for a lot of us at the moment. You're in Sydney like me, but uh, but our friends in uh, in Victoria are going through the same experience we are and uh, 
It's been a long old time in lockdown, right? So uh, hoping to come out of it soon. Vince, you guys at Perpetual produce a heap of great content. You've got uh, extensive range of analysts and uh, and products that people might be interested in. If people want to find out more, where should they go? So you've got uh, two choices. The first one I'll give you is uh, the website for the PIC, Perpetual Equity Investment Company, which is perpetualequity.com.au. And that's there's quite a bit of uh, material, all our past monthly reports, uh, features on um, a lot of our companies we invest in, other bigger picture issues. Uh, things we talk about as well, um, that's for the pick itself. And then you can go to just perpetual.com.au, go to the investing uh, tab there, and there's a wealth of information um, talking about how to invest, but more importantly, uh, more contemporary information regarding what's happening in markets today, whether it's in fixed income, multi-asset, uh, equities, um, et cetera. So there's quite a bit of information on our website. Uh, just trawl through, there's heaps there to look through. We're all featured in it. A lot of our fixed income team and our multi-asset team are there as well. And there's some quite, particularly if you've got quite a broad portfolio, um, there's quite a bit of information out there to just to trigger your thought process. You need to be challenged in your core beliefs to test your investment uh, theories. You have to, that has to happen to you because otherwise you can get um, too uh, used to uh, your positioning and you can miss things. So you need to challenge yourself. So I, I, I'd really advise you to go to those two websites, perpetualequity.com.au and perpetual.com.au. There's heaps of stuff there for all investors. Thank you. I've probably never mentioned on this podcast ever that uh, monthly reports uh, are a fantastic way to find out uh, what people are investing in, but also specifically why and whether it's done well or poorly and why, because there's a lot of additional detail in there that people have never really thought about. Vince Pizzullo from Perpetual Investments. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Gemma. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you so much for listening also. As always, we love hearing from you. We've received some fantastic feedback. We love getting your questions. Please just email us at yourwealth at nab.com.au and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth at nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.